Yo, Hungry Homies, our food world is changing. We face a lot of challenges, among them sustainability, food insecurity, preventing food waste, and feeding a world of 7 billion people. From Midwestern farmers to food entrepreneurs, from master chefs to weekend chefs, there's a new podcast out there by Hormel. Hormel Foods, our food journey podcast, invites us all to have a seat at the set at the table. I like this idea. I like listening to other food podcasts, hearing other walks of life, learning constantly, curious to join in on these conversations. Visit hormelfoods.com slash podcast. Taste Buds Today Show also brought to us by our good pals at Uber Eats. You know Uber is a fast and reliable way to get around town. Shout out to all of our pals in the restaurant biz. Did you know that Uber Eats is a fast and reliable way to get food to your customers and grow your business through delivery? Thousands of people can find you on Uber Eats. That would be people like me where I'm going on Uber Eats and looking for something delicious at 11.30 at night here in the DMV. The Uber Eats vast network averages deliveries in 36 minutes. So you, my restaurant owner homies, are getting real-time order and payment information from start to finish. Check out all the ways that Uber Eats can help you grow your business at ubereats.com slash restaurant. That is ubereats.com slash restaurant. Taste buds, culinary comrades, hungry homies. Here we are. It's a beautiful season. It's holiday season. The stretch run between Thanksgiving and New Year's. So much glorious food. You have arrived here at House of Carbs. The food podcast for the hungry people. By the hungry people. I am your hungry host, Joe House. And this is part of the Ringer Podcast Network. Hungry homies. We continue the beautiful holiday tradition right now. This week in Best Thing I Ate This Week, Bill Simmons is on to tell us about Italian food in New York City, as well as Momofuku Noodle Noodle Bar in Columbus Circle. He ate at both of those. I, my own self, had a glorious experience at a Korean restaurant here in the DMV. Our guest today, Chef Matthew Wolf, the executive chef of the legendary Rainbow Room in New York City. And of course, there is food news with Juliet Littman. Let's talk about the best thing I ate this week with Bill Simmons. All right, my hungry homies, we are ready. It is time for the best thing I ate this week. Special guest on the line right now, the pod father, Bill Simmons. What's happening? How are you? Good to be here. You, 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 you had something good to eat this weekend. Yeah, you want to do yours first? I had a, I have a double whammy. I don't know if you want to be the appetizer and I'll be the entree today. You want to be the well, appetizer? My, my, mine's a massive meal, uh, as you would expect. But I'm happy to to, to go first. Uh, it is the time of season now, now. Now, one of the things you and I should compare notes on. We it is to me Thanksgiving is like you wave the 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 checkered flag to start the race. Isn't that what they do in a in a race car race? They wave the checkered flag. 
Well, there's a couple things going on. You you have a couple days there in Thanksgiving week where you can just overeat and kind of do it guilt-free, but you still feel bad about yourself. But then it's getting really cold out too, so you can kind of hide it. Especially if you're on the East Coast or in the Midwest or wherever the weather drops where you get jackets or sweaters. So you can put on the extra four pounds and and nobody will really know. Maybe grow a beard if you're a guy. Um if you're a woman, maybe maybe that's when you break out a couple baggy sweaters. Like it, there's ways around hiding the fact that you've been eating like a Shetland pony, and that really goes all the way through. Because then you have holiday parties, you're drinking more. Uh, there's eggnog, there's way more sweets, and then everything kind of leads toward Christmas. And then that's why we have New Year's resolutions because everybody ate like a big fat pig. Yeah, really starting like the Monday of Thanksgiving week, at least at least for me. That that's the, like yeah. the go sign. Like, oh, now it's t- I have a green light to go eat. Yeah. And the my favorite thing about it, I don't know if you and I had discussed this. I I love welcoming desserts back in my life. Yeah. It is the it's the one that we have like a solid six week six five to six week stretch where it's okay. I might have dessert six out of seven nights because of where we're at this time of year. I was laughing. I heard you and Juliet last week and you were telling her about how you went to Thanksgiving at your parents' house and or wherever with your whole family and then you went to a friend's house for dessert that was parents of friends of your son and that they had made four homemade desserts. And I was I was just laughing my ass off thinking how you probably know these people but not that well. And then when you went in the kitchen, you probably you smelled it you, you did the whole thing where you're like an animal. You're just like, what's that smell? And you kind of drift toward the kitchen and you see the four different homemade desserts and you probably were like, oh, you probably made some <laughs> orgasm sound. And they're probably like, who is this man? We might have to ask him to leave. And then you probably well, ate I, half I, of each dessert. So here's the thing about, about this particular family and that experience. When we arrived that night, it, it was kind of the dessert hour. There were still guests uh, from from uh, who had attended the Thanksgiving dinner of, of these these good friends of ours. Yeah, and I, so I I had a quiet moment. I built I built a very quiet. There was a lot of flirtation between me and the desserts. Here's what what transpired. We went back. We went back the next night. We went over to these people's house for Thanksgiving leftovers. And that's when we co- I consummated the relationship with the desserts. Oh. Thanksgiving night, all we did was flirt. I had a slice of each one, a very delicate slice. It's like on a first date. Yeah, you're holding hands a little. You're there's a you're pecking. There's a kissing. You know, some gentle back rubbing. That that's all that went down. I, it was the second date. Where the second got date. Done, yeah, you you bought condoms beforehand. You're ready to roll. <laughs> well, I, I I I'm not. Well, I shouldn't talk. We're, we're going to go in a bad direction if I if I share my old technique as it relates to condoms Just answer or not. Me, answer me this question. <laughs> Your relationship to condoms or not. Answer me this question. Was the lady delighted or horrified when you left the second night? If you had to pick one she of was, those two adjectives. Uh, it, she was so happy. She was so delighted. In fact, Bill Simmons, uh, this week going up on the House of Carbs Instagram is a copy is is footage i t- i had her make for me a very drunken rum cake just for me oh i love and drunk i took rum pictures cakes. of it and it's at my house right now it was on the house of carbs instagram when this show is up i love drunken rum cake and i would love to read a study of 
when rum cake has actual alcohol in it, can you actually get a little bit buzzed or drunk from having like five pieces of it? I don't, I've never read that. I don't know the research. I don't know if the uh, Nobel Prize Committee has cracked down on that one yet. I intend to find out. This is a very drunken rum cake. Like there is extra every every opportunity to put rum in, she does it. And uh, I I I I had a slice this morning as part of of the documentation for this beautiful, very drunken rum cake that's on the House of Carbs Instagram. Uh, my mom, one of the great cooks in America, I remember her making some sort of drunken something like that, like a rum cake or something, but where the alcohol, it actually like burned your mouth as you were biting into it. Like it had like a real, I don't know how she did it. Um, and then the Italians, they'll have that with Sambuca. So you have the drunken rum cake, but then you also have the Sambuca with it. And, you know, at that point, you're just almost in a coma because the Italians overeat anyway. And then they bring in, they figure out a way to mix alcohol and dessert. So it's just like everything's designed to just fall asleep on the couch. Yeah, this is. I mean, you you know, I've got a a, a nice strong uh, half Italian running through me. Yeah, That's, yeah, it's, yeah. It's all about. It explains a lot. It's our version of the itis. What? So, what was your what was your big meal of the week? So, what in this holiday season? One of the things we like to do is get together with friends from from our sort of hometown walk of life. One of the friends that we get together with, we grew up with a, a pair of Korean boys, Johnny and Mike Kim, and every holiday season we get together for a Korean feast. Now. Uh, Johnny Kim still lives here in the D.C. area. The D.C. area has a very uh, extensive uh, offering of of Korean restaurants and not just Korean barbecue. But Johnny knows our our flavor profiles. He knows how we like to eat. He knows how we like to get down. So he always picks a different place for us. That's Korean barbecue where they do the meats and everything right in front of you. He we there there are two requirements. The first requirement is when you walk in, you're you're. Um, blasted in the face by a smell that does not smell like any other kind of restaurant experience that you're mm. going to have. That's that's our one requirement. The second requirement that we tell Johnny Kim, there better not be any white people when we go into this restaurant. Right. I don't want to go to a Korean restaurant that has any white people in it. And Johnny came through. Well, you know, yeah, I was I was became an honorary Korean this year, House, as you know. <laughs> Chang and I've been watching. Chang and Chow have brought me into the fold. Yes, and that is one of the rules. It you, they do let they if there's a sprinkling of Caucasians in the restaurant, it does reflect badly on the restaurant. I feel like in in the eyes of the the OGs, you know. I I think you're right about that. Yeah, that's so a legit. We thing. went to a place in Washington D.C. in the area. There is an Annandale, Virginia, which is you know 25 minutes outside of town. A real concentration of Korean restaurants. He took us to one I hadn't heard of before. It's called Han Gang. And we did it exactly the way you, you're supposed to do it. We had marinated ribeye, bagogi, short ribs. We had pork belly. And we had the uh, the seafood pancake to start. I'm going to botch the name. The hamul pajan. I don't know how to, you, you know. Yeah. Chang or, or ice can kick us in the butt for not being able to say it. I love the array of banchan, all of your, all of those, those tiny plates that, that you put all around the table that are your accompaniments to go with the meat. They didn't really give us um, lettuce for the wraps. So it was, we were making kind of tiny bites, which was, I think had this, this effect. We ordered the all you can eat um, for two. And we ordered, there was four of us. We ordered all you can eat for two people we ordered three of those, so we had all you can eat for six people, and then that wasn't enough, so we we ordered another four rounds of meat. And what it should have been was like 
$30 per person plus a couple beers, and it ended up being a bill that was north of $400 for the four of us. That's hard to do. Unless you keep ordering and ordering, and I think it was this effect of like having small bites of meat with the company with the panchette. I mean, the sauces were off the chart. We had rice vinegar. We had soy with uh, jalapeno. You could you could have sesame oil with salt and pepper. That was a sauce. I mean, they had all all everything, and plus all of the 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 kimchi, the 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 pickled and spiced uh, banchan offerings with the uh, soybeans and watercress. It and it just because we were having mainly small bites, it was just going down very fast. Yeah, it sounds delicious. The one thing when they don't have the lettuce wraps, and just even if they do, the one thing I've noticed is uh, your hands and clothes can really stink after like a good Korean barbecue experience. Like I you, think you, that's it's almost like having you, cigarettes I, at a casino where it's like even a day later you still feel like you have the stink on you and you need I, I don't know it just has to gradually dissipate and get away. Well, I'm feeling cheated. This is what I'm saying. If you walk in and you don't, if you're not met with um, the over the, the, the smell of the meat, yeah. yeah, of the meat cooking and the, or seafood, whatever people have chosen to cook on those um, on the on the hot hot plates in front of you, uh, the, the the grills, then then you you failed. If yes. you don't come home wearing it from a from a Korean barbecue experiment experience, then you failed. It should be like gambling all night at a casino where everyone's allowed to smoke. You should just smell. You should almost like you want to burn your clothes after. It should, it should be the thing. Well, I, I don't want to burn my clothes. In fact, I'm wearing the same pants today. So <laughs> of I just course lean you down are. and smell it. I mean, it's, it's great. It's a great smell. It so makes me so happy. Well, that sounds delicious. And I love the Thank the you. old school Korean barbecue meals. Um, yes. You know, obviously Koreatown in Los Angeles is blossomed beyond anyone's wildest dreams and is now one of the best eating experiences in, I think, not just America, but the world right now. And there's just, there's still places I haven't gone to, you know, that I, every time, like I'll go to a new one and, and it's amazing. Um, yeah. You've so, only been an honorary Korean for, for, for eight I, months now. I have so much catching up to do. Yeah. I really do. It's like when, um, when somebody marries the Jewish wife and they have to like catch up on the customs and because they want to convert. That's how. That's the mode I'm in right now. I'm only a year yeah. in as an honorary Korean. I need. There's a lot of You're things. You're the I need Jewish to learn. wife. I do love kimchi, though. I'll tell you that much. Me um, too. Me too. So I went to New York this weekend. I had two unbelievable meals. I wanted to tell you about both of them. Please. The first one, I went with uh, Brother Chang to the Momofuku Noodle Bar with Koppelman and Levine, the, our friends who. Um, who wrote Rounders and now uh, created and run Billions. And Koppelman loves to eat about as much as anybody. We had Chang order for us. It is basically, the, it's, it's you know, it's the classic Chang buns and noodles combo, but with some with some other wrinkles in there too. They have, um, he, he created behind the bar. There is, um, it almost looks like a, like a, Dow Jones ticker where that where it changes so it says what buns are up and which ones are still available and what the prices are and then it'll then it'll flip like a scoreboard and oh. it'll be something else so it's great. You went it, to the new one. I went to this the new one in new. Columbus Circle. In yeah, Columbus Circle. Oh right, I heard about this. It's like at the train station. Click yeah. click 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 click, and they show you new buns. Yeah, so that so two bars and a bunch of tables and you have like you get a piece of paper and you get to write down. Or check what which buns you want. Oh, I um, like it. Check the buns. I just check them all. 
I don't need to say you on the Chang on the buns at the Chang restaurants, but I will say <laughs> there was uh, a couple great ones. I mean, he had the shrimp bun. Gotta love that. I, it was my first chicken and caviar bun. Oh, um, that was great. That is a Dave Chappelle favorite, apparently. But it's basically fried okay. chicken with caviar on it. It's not cheap. It shouldn't be cheap because it's it's one of the best things I've eaten. And um, I I hesitate. Your reaction to this, I don't really know what's going to happen because you love Dave Chang buns, you love fried chicken, and you love caviar, and all oh. three of those things are together in a really delicious, unexpected um, marriage of different tastes. Yeah. I don't know how somebody even thinks to put those things together, but um, I I just think you, I, I don't think you would have one, I guess is my takeaway. My favorite thing that I had though- I don't remember if this was prime rib or short rib, but it was a, sh- I think it was a, sh- a, a French dip bun basically. So it was mm. like a, like a prime rib, short rib type thing was the meat, but then it had the au jus sauce. Oh, of course. And as you know, there's very few things I love more than the words au jus and just au jus being incorporated into whatever I'm eating, dipping. This was outrageous. This was this was one of my favorite things I've eaten in 2018. It was it almost it almost verged toward the territory of dessert. I want to say, like there was oh, this sweetness to it because uh, of the bread, because of the bun. Yeah, there was like the the sauce. It was just like a very salty, sweet kind of. I can't really describe it, and I wanted to order more, but this food kept coming out, and I kept trying everything, and then I got too stuffed. It, but was I this really, supposed to be like a like a French dip kind of thing? Yeah. Yeah. Oh. It was oh. unbelievable. It was so good. Now I'm getting it. Um if yeah, I would I you know, I'm already inventing uh my hack for this. I feel like if I could just order three and then take the meat out of all three and jam it all into one <laughs> and then stretch the one as far as it can stretch. Like a, like so make it like a each, grinder. Yeah, so each bite, each time I'm dipping it, some meat is falling in the jus, and when I pull it back up, there's meat hanging off the edge, and the dr- the jus is dripping, and I want to drip it, like, I want to eat it and have it pouring down my chin, and I kind of want to eat it, like, bent over, like, yeah. so I have to have a napkin or something, like a towel underneath of me. Uh, this is this is incredible. I can't believe is it. What, does it have a name? I'm sure it has a name, some, some, some uh, funny Chang name. I remember- I'm looking it up. I thought it was I thought it was like short rib au jus. It was something like that. Okay. I blacked like out right at one point because I ate so much. Um <laughs> the the by the way, as uh, our friend Hershey said, don't sleep on the noodles when you go to this. Like it's very easy to just slip into the whole bar thing, but you gotta get like the soup with the noodles. The the chef, obviously trying to impress Chang since it's Chang's place, said, Hey, I made I made something for you guys. We're going off the menu with something. I know oh there's boy. no there's no more favorite three words for you in a row than off the menu. Off the menu. Off the menu, your single favorite phrase, I think, of anything. And he brought yeah, he this made, stage of life. He made <laughs> he made a he made a stew. It was a little it was a little like uh like the stew at the at the the place in Koreatown that Chang blew up, Sung Young Don or whatever that place is. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it had That's fish in it and kimchi and it was hot. And it was so freaking good. And I was so stuffed and I was just like forcing it. It was like my last meal on earth at that point. I was just like taking <laughs> bites of it. But, and we didn't eat the whole thing because everybody had overeaten. 
It uh, the whole meal was great, and I, I, the buns thing. It just feels like they should be around more. Like LA should have ten of these. The Staples Center should have these. I mean, they're so incompetent; they'd never be able to figure out how to make them properly. But I, it, they're just so easy and so delicious, and I just. I don't know why I have to go to Columbus Circle in New York to get them. So that was my first meal. Second meal, I'd never been to Fresco, which is one of the best Italian restaurants in New York. And went with a couple of friends. Do you know this place? I'm 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 trying to remember. I, I know it. I do know it. It's it's in Midtown. And first of all, I like when a place is famous for a couple of things. So they're famous for the Wait, not not Fresco by Scotto on 52nd Street. Yeah, that place. Oh, that's my, I've been going there for years, decades oh. almost. Oh. Yeah, that's, well, there's a, it's in a part of town where for my, I'm not going to, I don't want to confess my what I do for a living in my real world, but, uh, or my, what not, not, this is the realest world there is, this food world, but the what I pay my mortgage with, this restaurant is like, you see, I see somebody I know every time I go there. It's, well, there's a couple, it hit a couple check marks for me. First of all, it was absolutely packed on a Saturday night. Um, they're famous for different things. Like they're famous for their bolognese. They're famous for their thin, thin, thin crust pizzas. Famous for the chicken parm and a couple other things. And then they also had a bunch of specials, which I always appreciate. Yeah, I like going sure. to a restaurant I don't like the mentality, and I get it. Look, I, every restaurant should be different. But I like when I go to a restaurant that has a killer roster of food, known, just great stuff. But then on top of it, the guy's like, hey, let me tell you about our specials. And they really are kind of special. You know, it's like, today we have this. And it really feels like they put some thought into it. So the pizza was great. I got the bolognese. I like that they had a gluten-free uh, pasta option. Um which I which um, I always appreciate, even though I know it's not as good as the homemade pasta. But the bolognese was outrageous. The Caesar salad. You know, we're in this weird post-Romaine world house. It's like a, a post-Romaine apocalypse. <laughs> the, right. Ce the Caesars just aren't as good without without the Romaine. I never realized how important Romaine was in my life, right? Romaine was my I, favorite I, lettuce. I ne never knew it was going to be around. Yeah. So. I think they should have the option restaurants where it's like, I'll take my chances. Can I have the romaine? Can you just give it to me anyway? If if something I, bad I, happens to me, I'll just shit my brains out for four days. How would we, they figured it out? It was like one particular region. Yeah. Isn't it in California, California problem? I mean, I think the rest of the romaine can come out from hiding now. Maybe we should start a social media campaign, free romaine, hashtag, <laughs> hashtag give romaine a chance. Um, it is I mean, it's just dumb enough. So- Everything's leading to the main course, which obviously I'm getting the chicken parm. You've you know my yeah. thoughts on the chicken parm. Yeah. One yeah. of my friends got the veal chop, which was fantastic. Another got the branzino. I had to get the chicken parm. Came out just a huge intimidating portion. It hit all my check marks house. Um pounded thin. Yes, must be. They Baked the cheese on top of it with the sauce between the cheese and the chicken, which to me is like Love the that. holy grail of chicken parm. Yeah. The sides on the cheese that bent around the chicken were brown, a little burned on the sides almost. Yes. And when you put your fork in, you hit the cheese first, and then the tomato sauce is still kind of hot because of the way they baked it. 
So you're almost burning your mouth with the first like 10 or 11 bites, but you put your fork through the cheese and the, the sauce like bubbles up, bubbles out. It was uh, outrageous. It, it is in now my, my, I have to redo my chicken Parmesan Mount Rushmore. I don't know where it ranks, but it's definitely, <laughs> definitely in there. It was so good. I really enjoyed it. The desserts were good, but I just wanted to give a shout out to, I, there's a place called Medeo in Beverly Hills that I haven't talked to you about that I haven't taken, oh, I don't I haven't know taken you we to. We haven't been there. It moved. No. It's a famous LA restaurant. Okay. It's not cheap. It moved right into the heart of where everything is in Beverly Hills. And it's another one. It's like just old school, great Italian. It's expensive. The waiters are all over the place. They've all worked there for 20 years. The waiters are dressed up. If you get up, somebody immediately takes your napkin and puts it back on. The food's awesome. They're bringing portions. They, you know, there's different levels of Italian food, but that last level of like the exquisite, really well done Italian meal that still keeps the nuts and bolts of just what I like about Italian food, it's the hardest thing to pull off. So yeah, well, and and you hit on some of the key uh, components, and I, I'm you're reminding me as I'm thinking about it. So Fresco, it's a family restaurant. And and they, they treat you like family when you walk in. Yeah. And the guy was was Anthony there, the bald guy. Did you see a bald guy right when you walked no, it was, in? No, it was a lady was running it that night. Okay, so yeah. yeah, one one of the one of the ladies for sure. But the other thing I love about this experience, it's a tight restaurant. Like yeah. they have every single inch. So you're you're you know it's butts to nuts in there, which is it's it's great. There's no it makes it adds to the sort of uh, uh, enjoyment of it. It's not one where you're, where you're sitting on top of other people and you and you want to kill them. Um, it, it's everybody sort of uh, enjoying the it, it it's an elevating kind of uh, uh, effect for me being that close and you know you have to lean across to well, get but with hold people. On, no. it's, it's the way Italian's supposed to be. But hold on, let's let's be honest of what we're telling the American people here. The reason you love tight restaurants, it's not it's not about the community and being around people. That's admit what it's really about, house. I, I'm 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 concerned about where this is headed. You like looking at other people's food. Well, that's true. That that is the single you uh, when most... you're at a restaurant when you're in close quarters around a whole bunch of people who are eating. Your head is on a swivel, and you act the same way somebody does when they've just been released from prison after 25 years, and they're out in the general population again. And somebody takes them to Manhattan Beach to watch like a woman's beach volleyball game or something. That's the look on your face as, oh, what's that? Ooh, oh, that looks good. And you actually frighten the people around you a little bit because you're staring at their food like in a way that it makes them think you might take it. Well, I've stopped reaching. I don't reach as much as I used to. Like when I, I would reach and point sometimes and maybe get a little too close. I think I've learned to rein that in, but I will say, or, or, in, or engaging you, with the people, like you stare at them until they until they're forced to tell you what they ordered. They don't want to be engaged. Some people don't want to be engaged. Yeah, they don't. They just want York. to eat. I will. You know the nice thing about, especially at, at a place like Fresco uh, that we're talking about here, I I do uh, in, engage in that behavior. It makes me feel like I'm eating what everybody else I'm eating everybody's plate. I'm, yeah. I could be walking around with a fork, literally. I'm not doing it, but it does feel like that. You would subscribe to a restaurant where for like an extra $200, you could actually walk around and just cut little bites for yourself off of different people's plates. In a heartbeat. Plates. Are you kidding me? <laughs> or or how about this? 
if 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 they didn't want me to be inter interrupting the other diners, they could just invite me back to the kitchen. And he, you know, here is the uh, for here for whatever that that price point is. Go ahead and cut your slice, cut yourself a slice, or get a forkful of whatever catches your fancy. I would definitely do that. Pay extra for the kitchen tour uh, element. Absolutely, positively. Yeah, maybe it's something where for an extra fifty bucks, as they're taking the plates back after the people are done. You get to decide whether you can have a bite off off the different plates. They bring it by you. They're like, Mr. House, uh, John's done with his filet mignon. We still have one slice left. Do you want it? And you just at least I, at least it's being offered. I, I'm I'm worried about in this day and age the the hygiene of that. Not a hundred percent worried. You're like fifty percent worried. Well, how about this? If they give me the waiver, I'll sign it. Give me the waiver. Let me sign the waiver. <laughs> medical, I'll do it. Medical testing, everybody. Yeah, that's I'm it. with you though. They, there is something about when you're in a restaurant that's the right size. I like when it's crowded, but not too crowded. I like when people are on top of me, but not to the point where the waiters keep hitting my seat as they're trying to walk by. Right. And it's really hard to find that balance. And that place, um, especially in New York City, they cram every possible seat they can into there. The bathroom's upstairs, which I liked. Right. And, right. Me too. Um, and it's just, and the food came out quick. Like they want to get, they, if you you know you're in the right place when it's packed, when they're not rushing you out, but when you order and then the food's there, you know, and it's, it's they don't want you to sit around for two and a half hours. We still manage to have two bottles of wine over the course of dinner. We were there for two and a half plus hours, but um, there was just a really nice well, place. A- Professional eating experience house. Yes, I, I'm. I'm so impressed. I'm so happy. I feel like I, I uh, have have not been a good friend to you by not mentioning. I've probably eaten. No, there, you have. You t- know, you told me. You've told me about twenty five times. Yeah, you've told me about yeah. it. Yeah, because it has all those those attributes that are the best attributes for eating like this. And and the two and a half hours, you know, it can fly by. It could feel like you were only there forty five minutes. Like, oh, we've been here three hours. Who knew? Because you're you're in another place. It's that transportive experience of eating especially Italian food that way. Just glorious. So it was great. It was really my dream weekend, uh, being half Italian, but also now being a Korean. Um, being able <laughs> to merge, all the bases. being able to merge by two cultures over the course of a weekend was really a special eating experience. And I also, uh, I definitely put on at least three pounds. Well, it's the season. And, and like yeah. you said, you just put on a jacket. Nobody will know. Yeah. All right, house. That's all I got for you. Thanks, Bill Simmons. Good eating. Bye, Joe House. Oh, my hungry homies. I hope you did not come into today's House of Carbs episode without eating. After that, best things I ate. Simmons took it to a whole nother level. We're going to get into this interview with my man, Matthew Wolf. But first, quick word from our friends at Sonos. You can, my culinary comrades, upgrade all your entertainment with brilliant room-filling sound courtesy of the Sonos Beam, a smart, compact soundbar for your TV. It's super easy to set up and even pairs with your existing remote. And even though it's connected to your TV, you can still play music, podcasts, or audio books when it is off. Pair it with the Sonos One, the mini but mighty 
smart speaker that fits perfectly on your countertop for an even richer listening experience in more rooms of your home. Once you connect Sonos One and Beam over Wi-Fi, you can play music in the kitchen while someone watches TV in the living room, or you can group all your speakers to play in sync. Everything works together seamlessly, and control is simple with the Sonos app, AirPlay 2, the touch panel, or your voice. Thanks to a built-in Amazon Alexa, I can tell you about the built-in Amazon Alexa and the room-filling sound of the Sonos Beam, which plays music in my household more than anything else because I have an eight-year-old, and what he likes to listen to is Katy Perry and Michael Jackson and... ACDC, I turned him on to. He asked if I could play some rock for him, and he's quite a fan of Back in Black. The bass, especially when it when it when it comes in, is very nice. Uh, and there's also an artist who traffics in poop songs. Uh, the name of which is escaping me, but that guy gets so much play in our house right now, and uh, it really fills the house. Go to Sonos S O N O S dot com to learn more and order your Sonos Beam to start your smart home sound system. Shout out also to our pals at Snake River Farms. Snake River Farms offers some of the best beef in the world, a crossbreed of highly prized, purebred Japanese Wagyu cattle and traditional American cattle breeds. These melt-in-your-mouth cuts are intensely marbled with a robust beef flavor. You can experience rich Wagyu flavors and still eat more than just a couple ounces of steak. That Wagyu can be rich, but when you blend it in with the beautiful American cattle breeds, you're getting a, a, a marbling that allows you to fill your belly for belly sourcing. Snake River Farms. American Wagyu grades out well above USDA prime beef. Most people have never had beef this marbled. No wonder it's served by chefs who know beef. Listen to these restaurants. These culinary geniuses and their establishments. Thomas Keller's French Laundry and Per Se Wolfgang Pucks Cut Masaharu Morimoto's Morimoto. Snake River Farms also, of course, served in Michelin-starred restaurants, James Beard award-winning kitchens, legendary steakhouses all over these great United States, as you would expect. Elevate your holiday meals this season, my friends, with beef and pork from Snake River Farms' full line of steaks, roasts, and hams. I would, I'm going to tell you about the Kurubota ham, and, and it's a beautiful Kobe equivalent of pork, but I want to emphasize to you how great this is for holiday gifting. They send it perfectly packed in uh, a, a very efficient boxing and dry ice so it arrives to your giftee to the folks that you want to present a beautiful gift to in, in, a, in a lovely box, perfectly wrapped and ready to go into the freezer or into the fridge for a perfect thaw so you can enjoy a, a, a delicious filet perhaps right away. Maybe that's what your uh, uh, giftee would like to do. House of Carbs listeners get 15% off their order. Get to yourself over to www.snakeriverfarms.com and enter promo code HOUSE at checkout. That's www.snakeriverfarms.com, promo code HOUSE. Oh, hungry homies, what a guest today. 
this gentleman, we, we like here on House of Carbs to have with our guests a, a, a new first. So this gentleman today represents a first for us here on, on House of Carbs. He is presently the executive chef of the legendary Rainbow Room located at 30 Rockefeller Plaza in New York City. You know it as 30 Rock. The gentleman is a native of Essex, London. He honed his craft working in the kitchens of top hotels in London, like the Claridge's and the Ritz London, where he often cooked for the Queen of England and Prince Charles. This man won the award for excellence for young chefs under the age of 25 from the Royal Academy of Culinary Arts here in the U.S., he has worked out in Los Angeles with legends of the game, like Ray Garcia and another guy with a UK background, a little little dude named Gordon Ramsay, Matthew Wolf. Welcome to House of Carbs. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Thank you very much for coming on today. So we have a lot of ground to cover. This is uh, I I love um, your background. I hope you don't mind if we start with kind of the most obvious thing, which is cooking for the Queen of, of England and for, for Prince Charles. Uh, I know that that was a little while ago uh, in your background, but um, what do those folks like to eat? Well, I can't really get too much detail, obviously, um, with what they like to eat. But, you know, they're quite adventurous. Uh, it was a fun time cooking for them, you know? Oh, is it so? Is it like a state secret? Would it, would would you get in trouble if you I, talked about what they like to eat? Yeah, I might not be here tomorrow if I tell you what what I cook for them. You know, I had no idea. It was uh, the we we the uh, the Brits held such important information so close to the vest. Now, uh, We're you very you proper, yeah, yeah well, <laughs> I'm aware. Now, uh, you you said that they were uh, adventurous in terms of the kind of ingredients that you had available to you at the time that you were working at the Ritz London. What, what, without divulging the, the, the finished dishes, what kind of elements were, were, were you putting into those dishes? Well, you know, Prince Charles is an avid farmer, so we used to use a lot of his products, actually, at the Ritz in London. Um, some great um, strip loin, some mutton. Uh, he was a big fan of mutton, you know, um, so we used that quite a bit. Which is not, you know, not a lot of people use that. So, yeah, uh, you're right. Especially if, yeah, but he was a very avid farmer. So, he, you know, very all into the organic. And, you know, that was a great meat that we got from his farm. So uh, he was a little bit ahead of his time with this uh, farm to table concept. Is that right? Yes, definitely. Yeah. And the queen, the same way. She was happy to have anything that, that her son uh, was responsible for. Yeah, I'm sure she was. <laughs> well, you, you you served it, so uh, and and she ate it, and we're all here to talk about it. We've all survived it. We certainly have. <laughs> so, tell us a little bit about what brought you to the United States. Your first move um, from London was to you were a founding chef at a restaurant in Chicago. Tell us a little bit about that. Yes, I uh, you know I was at uh, sixteen restaurant in Chicago. I actually interviewed over the phone and, and and got the job over the phone. There was a great uh, chef there called Frank Bernacci, an Australian who worked in London. Uh, great sense of humor, and we kind of hit it off straight away. Um, so for me, it was it was you know, quite interesting coming to America and going to Chicago and kind of working with him. And he you know he kind of uh, taught me quite a bit 
obviously coming from Europe and that kind of intense kitchen uh, and to America is very, two very, very different things, you know? So tell us a little bit about that. What was what were the, the differences? Uh, just the intenseness and, and the way that you speak to people. Obviously, it's, it, it was different in Europe at that time. I think they've done a tremendous job in correcting that. And, yeah, it, it's, it's not so much about the stick. It's more the carrots in America, as you would say. Yeah. So this is, let's talk about, let's put this in proper, like, timing context. When did, when, did, when did you come over? I came over in 2007, at the end of 2007. So, so in the early, it was still the case in the early 2000s in, in the UK, that European um, cooking tradition of the chefs really running, um, you know, dictatorships. That was still kind of the prevailing dynamic? Yeah, I wouldn't say it was total dictatorship, but I think it's just more of an intense environment. And definitely, I I, I noticed a big difference coming to the, the U.S. Um, just in the way that people are treated and kind of the hours people work. You know, as a, as a line cook in London, you know, you're working 18, 19 hour days. I mean, here, you know, most people work eight hours, nine hours, maybe some overtime. Um, so it's, it, it's a total different way of life, you know. And... Uh, I don't, I'm not going to ask you to cast aspersions. I don't need you to say anything bad about your, your former life, your former colleagues in the UK, but did you, do you have a preference? Did you, um, take to the American way of doing things? Oh, definitely. I, you attract more bees with honey and, you know, I have, a, I have a, I, w- I would actually say, you know, if you, you put me in a kitchen now with some of the cooks I used to work with, they'd say, who is this person? You know, because <laughs> it's, uh, <laughs> it, it's, it's totally different mindset and, and you know, you lead, you, you know, drive it from behind and push and push. You, you lead the guys and that's, that's kind of my mentality. And I think, you know, it's definitely worked out and I've had some great cooks throughout my career in America come and go on to do some great things, you know? So, well, speaking of kind of the American ethic and what, what kind of uh, dynamic you might find in the kitchen, you went from Chicago to Los Angeles, which is an entirely different, you know, kind of, of animal. And you connected pretty early in your move to LA with Ray Garcia. How did you get lured out to, to the West coast? You know, I, I, I applied for the job. I, I kind of wanted to see California. Uh, you know, I'd heard amazing stuff about the produce. So when I went out there for an interview with Ray, you know, first thing he said is, you know, right down the street from the farmer's market, go at it, go have it, um, go choose some stuff and come back and cook. So, you know, that's what I did. And I kind of fell in love with just that beautiful produce. I mean, you know, it's, it's very hard to compete with California on that, on that level. Yeah. And, and it, it's not just any uh, farmer's market. It was the farmer's market in Santa Monica because um, you, you ended up working with Ray at the restaurant The Fig in Santa Monica, right? Yeah, that's correct. So, I mean, everything we bought for the restaurant, we'd go there twice a week, you know, with a car. And we, we'd just buy them from the farmers and come back create the menu, do specials. So we did farm dinners as well. So we, we choose one farm and really choose three or four ingredients that they have. And just the whole menu is based around that ingredients, including dessert, which, you know, it's really uh, tests you as a chef to be very creative and come up with these dishes. So uh, comparing your experience, um, the access to produce at a place like, you know, the Santa Monica Farmer's Market with what you had access to at the Ritz in London, two different kinds of, of produce available. 
But um, I'm just interested in, in your comparison of those two. Well, both on the same level. I mean, look, we're at the Ritz in London. I mean, you're, you're getting produce from all over the country, and it's the best of the best. But your seasons are dictated a little bit more precisely in what you're using. You know, your asparagus is, is probably a shorter season than it is here. You know, the, the best of British strawberries, I mean, you can't go wrong. You know, so uh, obviously them seasons are a little bit more stretched in California. Um, and some of the produce is year-round, you know, so it, it, it's a little bit different in that respect. And uh, you worked with Ray for a couple years and then somehow connected with uh, Gordon uh, Ramsay, your countryman. Um, how did that come to pass? I worked with Gordon a little bit at Claridge's when I was there just before I left. Um, so I knew... Yeah, you know, some of the team I'd staged at other restaurants before I moved to the Ritz to decide whether I was going to stay in the company um, or go on to the Ritz to be with John Williams. Um, so, you know, he, he approached me, made a call and see if I'd be interested in the gig. And, you know, I, I met with Gordon and spoke through what the, that would look like. And kind of that was fun. You know, it, it was a very interesting time. And, you know, it, they run it very differently to anything, um, you know, I'd done so far in America. Uh, in what what respect? What was the difference? You know, so your general manager and your exec chef, they're responsible for everything. I mean, you know, I was buying toilet roll and all of the other stuff for the restaurant. And, you know, you're 100% responsible for your P&L. Um, you know, basically, you just have an accountant that's cutting checks. The rest is all up to you, you know? I see. That's very, that's very cool. Um Obviously, Gordon has a uh, strong personality and a TV persona here in the United States. When you connected with him in the UK, it was it was in the kitchen. So you already had kind of a built in uh, credibility and your relationship um, developed based on your your success in, in the kitchen. Tell folks a little bit about what he's like to work with when he's not on television. Yeah, I mean, when I was in Los Angeles, Gordon, he was a great guy. I mean, look, you know fantastic. He treated me very well. Uh, he would always come into the restaurant. We'd talk about food. You know, he was very involved in, in all aspects of, of the menu and kind of, you know, he would always come and see the team, shake everybody's hand. He was very good at making sure he engaged in his employees. And uh, what about the the sort of uh, leeway that he gave you to innovate uh, yourself, you know, with the menu? It was at Fat Cow, right? Where That was the restaurant? Yes. Yeah, so it was. Yeah, at first the menu was written in London. You know, I came on board just before opening, so a lot of that was done. And as we progressed, um, you know, I would do dishes and Gordon would come in and, and, and taste stuff and be like, yes, yeah, yeah, it's great, go for it, you know. Um, you know, it would be, be on the menu. And so, you know, and he may come in and he'd, he'd taste it and he'd say, you know, I would add this or take a little bit away, you know. So very um, good feedback, you know. Yeah, I it, it's I'm imagining him and and uh you know, I I've been a fan of all of the television programming featuring him for a while, but I I imagine him with in in this kind of setting with the demeanor of what you see when he's working with kids, where he's 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 encouraging, he's he's he validates things, he gives gentle criticism. Um and, and, and you know that that kind of uh, sentiment is that is that basically right? Yeah, definitely a mentor. You know, I, I mean, I would go meet him on the set of Hell's Kitchen or wherever, and, and we'd be talking about what's going on at the restaurant. You know, and you, you could kind of see these people very nervous, and 
you know, the contestants and, you know, he's, uh, it's funny cause you, I didn't have that vibe from him or, or, or feel that way, you know? So it, it's definitely, um, I think more of the people who haven't worked with him kind of fear him a little more. You know? Yeah, sure, sure, sure. And, and we were talked a little bit about kind of that old tradition, um, in terms of the way that, that kitchens, were run in the in in Europe and what a, a difference that was in terms of your own experience. Gordon obviously came from that same tradition in the UK, right? Yes, yeah, so, you know these. I mean, he was way before my. You know, he was coming up way before my time. But uh, I think it was you know at that point, if you didn't really fit in, then uh, you 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 just quit. You know, I, I mean, it was only the fittest survive the strongest survive you know yeah sure sure all right well enough on gordon ramsay let's talk about you you uh moved you did the one one of the things that 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 folks here um you know sort of look at and 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 wonder they puzzle at anybody that that you know goes out to california and and then gives it that experience of living in Los Angeles or on the west coast and the the beautiful weather and and the access to everything Anybody that that league moved from the West Coast to the East Coast, folks, folks look, are, are are curious about that. So, so what brought you from from LA to, to New York? Well, you know, when I finished in Chicago, um, I just kind of, you know, I'd been in London for ten years, I was in Chicago a couple of years, and I wanted I wanted to, you know, see a different pace and a, a different kind of cuisine. Um, and I, I kind of thought about New York a little bit. To, to be honest, at that point, I was a little intimidated. You know, I always saw New York as a, you know, a bit of a bit of step above London. You know, like I'd been here before. I'd eaten the Jean George and uh, you know on vacations and stuff. And sure. I was kind of a little intimidated. You know, so I kind of skipped New York and I went to LA. And then the opportunity came up for the Rainbow Room, and uh, you know, I was like, how could you turn it down? You know, such now, an right. iconic building. Yes, um, the, uh, the 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 legendary Rainbow Room at at Thirty Rock. Um, I, I do want to talk a little bit about the Rainbow Room. Obviously, we're going to talk about the Clash of the Titans Burger, but you have this unique perspective now as a person who has lived in four of the greatest food cities in the in the world. Um, and I, I'm interested in kind of your sense presently of what's going on in the food scene here here in the US um because you know you talked about being intimidated by New York well th- well these days i think it's the case that people hold chicago and los angeles you know the, is, as as food cities and as food scenes um yeah, are at least treating them as as kind of as interesting as anything that might be going on in New York. Uh, you having lived in these various places, I'm interested in your sense right now. I mean, I, I, obviously you're not able to travel around a ton, but your sense of what's going on right now in the states that way. Yeah, I mean, you look. When I was in Chicago, I, I loved the city. I, I loved the food. I thought they were very innovative, pushing boundaries. Um, you know, one thing I saw when I came to New York was. I moved here. It was a little defensive, you know, like it, it, no one was, and I'm not saying where I had eaten, no one was pushing the boundary, you know, like Chicago is, I know they just seemed fearless, you know, like they, they were not frightened to try anything. And, you know, I, I had a great time there. I mean, it will always have a fond uh, place in my heart. And obviously in Los Angeles, I mean, look, the produce is second to none. So, 
you know, that I mean, now it's even evolving even more. And it's such a melting pot of cultures and cuisines, you know, so it, it was amazing. I mean, uh, you know, I feel like New York is really starting to, to come alive now with, with the cuisine, you know? Yeah, that's that's the funny dynamic that um, I'm 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 wanting to hear your perspective on because, like you said, you know New York has always had this revered place in the American palette as like you know the destination, uh, New York City as as the sort of ultimate destination, and these other cities now have this of have acquired their own reputations for diversity and for innovation, and what you mentioned just now about Los Angeles, were you able to go? out and explore the L.A. food scene much while you were there working? Yeah, I did, I did a little bit. And, you know, it, it's fantastic. I mean, look, a good, a good Thai, I mean, a good Mexican, good taco. I mean, everything was great. You know, like, um, lucky enough to work like alongside some great chefs when I was with Ray, and we did some fantastic dinners and going to them restaurants. And, you know, I, I, I just think, you um that... The, the way they treated the produce and, and the respect and, and just the effort that was put in was amazing. You know? Did did you get to places like um, Koreatown in Los Angeles or the San Gabriel Valley? I went to Koreatown, yeah, definitely. Um, Night Market was a great restaurant. Loved that guy. Um, super interesting food. Really flavorful, you know? Yeah, right, right. Um so let, let's talk a little bit about uh, New York and your experience. You you land in, in in Manhattan and you're you know tasked right away with breathing some life into the Rainbow Room uh, menu. Um, what was the first kind of thing that you had in mind uh, of of delivering at the Rainbow Room? Well, you know when when I came on board, uh, we had an exec chef already, Jonathan, um, and yeah, we worked together hand in hand, and it was. Reviving the classics. I mean, you look at a, a room upstairs like the quintessential New York Rainbow Room. I mean, I mean you've got to pay homage to some of them classics, you know. So, re, you know, redoing the Wellington a little bit. You know, you've got to have these big, big um, dishes on Dover Soul. You know, they're what people expect when they come to the iconic Rainbow Room. Yeah. So Dover Soul, Beef Wellington. Uh, what What else is Lobster Thermidor? Is that on there? We have had it on before, yes. But, you know, now, I mean, look, we're trying to uh, change the cuisine a little and we're getting more of a modern touch and kind of introducing the clientele to uh, different dishes. Yeah, so, like, what what kind of things um, are you guys uh, working on right now? Well, I mean, we, we do a lot of um, different stuff. So, you know, for, uh, for the Rainbow Room, you know, we've got... Uh, we're poaching halibut and brown butter. We're doing charred leek emulsion. Uh, it's a great seller ah. in the room, you know. Like ah. you wouldn't necessarily associate that dish with the rainbow, room, you know. Right, right. And and is it the case uh, you've had a pretty great run of having access to basically anything that you want or need um, to allow you to innovate with with dishes? How have you found your access to you know meats and fish and produce? Is it is it the same? At, at uh, in New York is what you uh, experienced and enjoyed in LA. I, the produce, I would say, is a little bit different. You know, you have to go and look for it a little bit. Um, yeah, you know, which is fantastic. I mean, you know, here we do a New York cheese and 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 charcuterie, and I went around upstate New York finding all these small cheese farms. I you know, I really wanted to highlight some of the New York State uh, produce and 
cheeses that people were making. And they, listen, some of these cheeses that they compete with the French cheeses, you know, and the, oh. the European cheeses. So, so did you know about the reputation of upstate New York um, and those farms before you arrived, or did you come here and uh, arrive in New York and say, "I want to just go explore a little bit"? That's exactly. It. I mean, being in LA, I mean, you, you know, you get to meet the farmers, you you have that rapport, and that, that's really what I wanted to do is is kind of get out there and meet people and uh, and see what they're growing and really trying to get the prime ingredients in season. Uh, and you know, as much as California has great produce. So does New York State. I mean, some fantastic stuff coming out of the, the state. Yeah, and and uh, the same is true of of access to to like the seafood, right? Have you had a, the opportunity to um, tap into like the New England pipeline for seafood and such? Yeah, we. I have a supplier in Montauk, and uh, you know, I get all the stuff he's got daily, or he's got coming in, and he'll call me with stuff that he might. I mean, he might want me to run a special, and I've got on the boat or. Yeah, and, and sometimes the weather. So it, it's something where you know we're constantly changing and evolving with what's available on hand to us. You know, um, but listen, I, I've been to Maine, and uh, I mean, Jesus Christ, love lobster. It, it's awesome, and it, it, what a better place to have it than Maine? And that's where we buy it from for the restaurant. And you know, so we're getting it as fresh as anybody else. As fresh as anybody else. Um, so it's still the case that the Rainbow Room for folks, um, this is a, an, an incredible time of year for, for folks to go visit New York City because, you know, basically that run from Thanksgiving all the way through New Year's, the city is just alive. It's electric. Um, it's packed with people. It's a great time to go eat. This is your second year now experiencing all of this, the holiday season at, at the I've been here four years, so it's, uh, yeah, my fourth year. And, you know, the building we're in, 30 Rock, we have the Christmas tree. We have, they've just opened FOA Schwartz again. So it's, a, you know, such an amazing sight when you go downstairs and the, it's just a sea of people. Right. And, and, and it's still the case that the Rainbow Room experience, that's a, that's a special dinner. I mean, it's not uh, inexpensive. You have to plan for it. You have to, you know, plan w- well in advance to get uh, reservations. Um, the same is true of the um, uh, New Year's Eve party. But uh, ha- have you partaken in, in the New Year's Eve festivities at the Rainbow Room? I haven't partaken in it, but I, I do, uh, you know, I come up with a menu. I'm sure that we got this lavish um, ingredients and, and luxe, um, delicious dishes, you know. So I, I think, you know, when you come to the Rainbow Room and it's, you're here for New Year's Eve and you've got the dancers and, you know, such an amazing room with big band and uh, the food to match, you know, uh, it, it's it's an experience of a lifetime, you know? Yeah, yeah, that's right. So there, there's your experience of a, of a lifetime if you want to come and do New York that way and you're, uh, you've had a, a good 2018, your bank account will, will accommodate that. But there's also the, 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 the Bar 65 experience is also available um, and Bar 65 also has uh, a menu, right? They do have a menu, yeah. We, I mean, we start with a champagne and caviar bar, which is great. I mean, you come in, what's better than just indulging in caviar and champagne for the first yeah. hour or two, you know? It's uh, fantastic, you know? No other way to ring in the year. Although, I do have to t- ask you a little bit about this this burger. And it, it's almost, it feels slightly 
like a mistake to call it a burger. Um, this the Clash of the Titans burger. Uh, it is, I'm going to let you describe it. Um, I'm interested in basically every element, all the ingredients, and how it how it got its name. Yeah, we came up with a burger, and we we talked for it as a team, and kind of how we wanted to create this over the top burger uh, with luxe ingredients and really have some fun with it. Um, yeah, so we have the the four blend burger that we have: the chuck, the, sh- the hanger, the short rib, um, the lobster that we butter poach, truffle cheese, bacon, maple glazed bacon, uh, short rib that's been braised and it's just lacquered with a beautiful jus. Um, and really putting all that together and balancing it, you know, and then with a tomato onion jam, um, served with champagne bernet. So it's a decadent burger. I mean, yeah, some could say it's a pre-course meal on a bun, you know? Yeah, well, you you just said uh, balancing it. It's it's literally a, an act of, of defying physics to get all those ingredients. It seems, I've, I've seen <laughs> the pictures of getting all of those ingredients onto a single platform. Now, how when you when people order that, how do they eat it? Does, does anybody try and pick it up with two hands? I have seen someone try and pick it up. It didn't end very well, but, uh, you know, <laughs> that's for the knife and fork for and the napkin, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's what, that's what a napkin is for. Now, and, and you said three-course meal. I think that, that the way that I would want to do it is kind of deconstruct it a little bit, enjoy some of the ingredients kind of solo, and then build it back up. It seems like you could sit and, and you know, I, I'm not um, the kind of eater that plays with food, but I would like to experience like experiment a little bit, you know, kind of let's take a little short rib here with a little bacon here and a smidge of the tomato jam. Let me have that bite. And then let me take another bite where it's the, it's the, the actual burger elements and the, and the, and the lobster. And then I'll dip, dip those two together in the champagne Bernays. That's another bite. I mean, it feels like you could really be creative with this. Uh, yeah, definitely. Most definitely. And that's, that's the fun of it. Like you don't have to have this burger. You see people take it apart all the time. It's up to you. It's really, you know, everything works together. But if you don't want to eat it like that, you know, you're more than welcome to take it apart. Okay. Well, let me ask ask this. What what are the a final uh, question? Are you allowed to have ketchup with it? Of course, I love ketchup <laughs> on a burger. I mean, come on. <laughs> I, I, well, I didn't know if it would ruin the flavor profile because there's a lot of flavors going on there. I don't know about lobster and ketchup. You know, each to their own. If you want to put mustard on it, you put whatever you want on it. You're paying for it. I mean, yeah, that's that's definitely my philosophy. Uh, you know, it's it's up to people how they want to eat, and that's up to them. I love it, Chef. I love I love that answer, and I and I and I love your approach. Uh, what what do people drink with this burger? What do you recommend? You know, to be honest, I'm not really sure what they drink. Yeah, you know, champagne would be great. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Sure. I, I mean, how about a beer? Could I have a beer with it? Could have you could have a beer again. Um, you know, one thing they're doing with the bar is very New York focused too. So a lot of beers and wines from New York State. Um, really, you know, just trying to match the food and 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 keep in line with us. Yes, well, that's great, Matthew Wolf. He is the executive chef at Manhattan's iconic Rainbow Room, and also the Bar Sixty Five. If you don't have New Year's Eve plans yet, and there's a little bit of extra room in the bank account. Don't forget about the Rainbow Room. Matthew, thank you so much for coming on today and joining us on House of Carbs. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you. All 
Hungry homies, all my thanks to Chef Wolf. Before we get into food news, couple quick words from some friends of ours you've heard from before. Chef Steps host the most delicious dinner parties this holiday season without stress with the Jules sous vide. When you cook with Jules, there's zero guesswork. So steak, chicken, seafood, turkey, roast, eggs, they're all coming out exactly the way that you like them. Cooking with Jules is hands-free, which is very important at this time of year. You can focus on your holiday guests and more importantly, your holiday glass. Make sure you have a full glass this holiday while you're cooking with the Jules hands-free sous vide. Watch the game, perfect your pies. Do it while Jules is doing the work for you. It lets you cook a lot of food all at once so it's easy to cook for a crowd. If various guests are running late or your appetizers or cocktails are taking longer than expected, don't worry about it. Jules is holding food at the perfect temperature so it is ready when you are. From perfect steak to tender, flavor-packed holiday hams and roasts, Jules makes the best food you've ever tasted. I am banging this thing, the Jules sous vide, on a giant sockeye salmon filet. I'm telling you, I, I have to get a pot big enough to hold the thing, but the sous vide is so beautiful. It's such an easy way to cook it to exactly that right, that medium rare kind of temperature that I enjoy that. A little lemon, a little arugula, maybe a sprinkle of Parmesan just just for tasters. It's beautiful. To get yours, visit chefsteps.com slash jewel and use code carbs to get $15 off for a limited time. That's chefsteps.com slash J-O-U-L-E code carbs. Jewel, perfect food every time. All right, Hungry Homies, it is now time for Food News. Yo, Juliet. Hi. <laughs> How are you? I'm good, thank you. I'm excited about today's good. stories. Yeah, we have some great stories. You teased us last week before we jump right into the stories with a trip to Bobby Flay's Gato. Oh, my God. Can, loved can, it. I forgot to I forgot I, about that. Yeah. Yeah, I... I sang the praises. I had my own experience, but before we jump into the stories, just let's just share with the hungry homies. As you know, I just love a dip, and they have a lot of dips there, including my favorite, which is simple but always delicious, which is fresh ricotta. And the fresh ricotta comes with like a special focaccia, and it was so good. We also I went with my parents, and we also got um, a pizza that had like uh, thick like piece of thick cut bacon on it. And I dip my pizza crust into the ricotta and I was in heaven. I could have stopped there, but then I also had the recommended um, kale paella. And that was awesome. Apparently it's the most popular dish at the restaurant. Did you know that? Oh, I did not know that. Uh, yeah. I hadn't done any of that kind of research in advance and we didn't ask while we were there, but I'm glad I, to hear yeah, my that. waiter told me, cause I was like, wow, this is amazing. And he's like, yeah, it's really popular. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I love that so hack. The, the, the pizza ricotta hack is that's that's giving it out to, to all the culinary comrades out there. And the nice thing about Gato, you know, uh, maybe they're not happy about it, but it's accessible. Like if you get a hankering and you want to go there, you can go eat at the bar, or if you you know you can look and see and get a reasonable time for for a reservation. You don't have to like plan your life many months out in advance, right? Oh, definitely, yeah. 
Um, we did a couple days before. I love a good bar counter meal, and it looked like a nice yeah. one. Also, they, it was like yeah. really nice in there. I love the floor tile. I just really liked it all around. It was really good. All right, two thumbs up from the House of Carbs. Yeah, Bobby Flay's got to owe it. It's in NoHo, right? NoHo. Yeah, it's just north of Houston. I um, also really liked my waiter. Just great service, and service is really important to me. Like, like especially at that price point, you know, it's not just about yep. the food. It's about like feeling welcome and feeling relaxed. And they were great. I shout out to all the people at Gato. I had a great time. Thanks right. for the recommendation. My 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 pleasure. I hope they, to keep giving them out. This is going to be one of our New Year's resolutions for 2019. Uh, keep on keeping on with great restaurant experiences <laughs> and great reservation uh, uh, recommendations to all the hungry homies. Sounds like a great resolution that I can get behind. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. You well, you're part of it. You're 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 gonna help be responsible for it. You and I will both yeah. be giving out continued great uh, recommendations. I'm ready for it. Let's let's talk some news. Cool. First one is from People.com, which we just don't reference enough on this podcast. So I'm so happy to be doing so. <laughs> it is about the singer John Bon Jovi, and I've heard of him. I know him. Yes, he's very famous. Also appeared on Sex in the City. Uh, John Bon Jovi's wine, Hampton Water. Very funny name which he developed with his son Jesse and French winemaker Gerard Bertrand, was recently named the top-ranked rosé of 2018 by Wine Spectator. The wine grabbed the 83rd spot on the list of top 100 wines, which only included one other rosé besides Hampton Water. It earned a 90-point rating by the Niche magazine after making its debut just earlier this year. Bon Jovi issued a statement. He said, It's an incredible honor to be on Wine Spectator's Top 100 Wines of 2018, let alone ranked as the top rosé, Bon Jovi said in this statement. It's a true testament to all of our hard work, and I cannot be more proud to share our excitement for and love of Hampton Water with all people all over the world. Congrats to John Bon Jovi, one of two rosés on this list. So Wine Spectator is legit, and they're not going to put any old half-stepper on there just because the the uh maker there's a, a connection to celebrity they don't they don't need that wine spectator it's a it's its own brand right it doesn't need any any borrowed shine from any you know new entrant into the wine game and and it is a thing right like we've seen i i encounter this a lot in my golf uh my golf walk of life some of the golf dudes make some money and then they start experimenting with trying to jump into the wine biz wine spectator is only putting you on that list if if it really comes correct so hampton water must be must must be delicious yeah the one other one is um from carol shelton rose wild thing rendezvous from mendocino county mendocino county's got good wines too now i want to try both of these i've never had hampton water but i'm going to seek it out where where are the grapes coming from for this rose does it say in here um, it's not exactly where they where it comes from to answer your question, but this is the uh, description from Wine Spectator: a nicely crafted rosé with a hint of creamy richness lining the strawberry, melon, and white cherry flavors. A dash of minerality imparts depth through the long, mouth-watering finish. A crowd pleaser, and then it's a mix of Grenache, Cinsault, Mourvedre, and Syrah. Drink now. Thirty-five thousand cases made. I'm in. It's twenty-five dollars a bottle. Not bad. Well, I, that's not bad price point, and I also think that the uh, the name is is funny. I like the the tongue in cheek. I mean, Me too. It, it is like a little bit. We're we're self aware. We, we I, I I dig the 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 charm, the chuckle. I also like that John Bon Jovi can have some fun with himself. He's a good celebrity. Doesn't take himself too seriously. 
I couldn't agree more. And it feels like uh, you know all of his walks of life, he's had uh, success. So good, good on you, John. Congrats to him. Okay, next, a more litigious story. This is from um, Spokesman.com. Consumers sue potato chip maker over use of quote-unquote Hawaiian brand. A class action lawsuit has been filed against the maker of potato chips sold under the brand name Hawaiian, claiming the chips made in Washington State are misleading customers. Michael Maida of Honolulu and Ileana Sanchez of Los Angeles filed the suit last month, alleging Pinnacle Foods is using false and deceptive advertising and fraudulent and unfair business practices. The Honolulu Star and Advertiser reported Tuesday. They claim they... They and consumers like them would not have purchased the chips or would have paid significantly less if they knew the snacks if they knew the snacks were made outside of Hawaii and without ingredients from the state. I agree. I always thought these these sweet Maui onion Hawaiian chips were from Hawaii, and that's why I was interested. Huh. I have to say that as an East Coaster, this is kind of lost on me. Oh, is interesting. There, is there a particular flavor profile or crunch profile or, or a distinct uh, kind of attribute, food attribute to Hawaiian chips that separates them from regular kettle chips? Yeah, they have like a flavor. It's like a sweet onion. It's kind of like a, like the Hawaiian version of sour cream and onion, but it's like sweet onion. They're really good. They serve them on, if you fly Hawaiian airlines to Hawaii, they serve them uh, like a sweet onion chip on the flight. They're delicious. And I always thought these chips were from Hawaii. I, I'm shocked they're not. But it sounds like it's just the 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 flavor, uh, the flavoring, the 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 spice on the chip. It, it doesn't suggest that the the actual potato came from there. No, it doesn't. But I think it's like you know, it is it is using like the idea of Hawaii and Hawaiian food to sell to sell it. But but people do that all the time, like. Uh, but it's false advertising. It's not from Hawaii. <laughs> it's from Washington. But isn't if it's a style, I, I'm not. I'm not. I'm. I'm having a, a hard time coming up with a good example. But like, I, who is the, who is the? It's the like folks Hawaiian that make punch. The... <laughs> no one thinks Hawaiian punch is from Hawaii. But that's nobody thinks obvious. Hawaiian punch is from Hawaii. I do and, feel and like I, I was that, duped. But does it matter? Is there harm? I don't know. You're a lawyer. You tell me. I I don't know enough about this particular uh, aspect of food law. Maybe I should get myself uh, uh, up up to speed, but uh, it, if the if it doesn't claim to be made in Hawaii, and all they're doing is, you know, capturing kind of a Hawaiian flavor profile, I'm not sure that that there's any harm. And this idea, I guess, if if they if you paid four dollars more for these, if there was like a really uh, pronounced price difference that's built into this, it's a premium chip because it has to travel all the way from Hawaii. I guess that would be harm. But I, I don't know. I'm a little puzzled. That's what I'm going to say. I'm puzzled. I, I feel like the lawsuit is damaging for the brand enough, and that's probably what they were going for. Mission accomplished, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. All right. All right one I'm more. I'm going to look these up. I might I might have to order some, have them come to the to the house. They're really and, good. And jump in and see if I can come up with more of an opinion, whether, whether it matters to me or not that they're from Hawaii. <laughs> 
Um, finally, House, this is from uh, Relax News of MSN.com. Shouts to producer Kyle. A Swiss Airlines launching fondue flights this winter. As part of its in-flight menu relaunch, Swiss International Airlines is offering one of Switzerland's most iconic foods to passengers flying out of Geneva this winter. Cheese fondue. The carrier is bringing what should be considered one of the most flight-unfriendly foods in Switzerland's repertoire, small tray tables, hakui cheese dipping, to their in-flight offerings for European flights to in Geneva. The fondue is made following the traditional recipe and served with bread, dry meats, cured ham, and salami. And just to be clear, that recipe is half Freiburg, half Gruyere cheese. Other traditional mm. Swiss foods on the menu include hot chocolate made with Swiss chocolate and pan au lait. Um, this sounds like such a bad idea and so messy. <laughs> well, I, I my concern would be like the the quality component. Like how are how am I sure that you're not walking out? With a with a plastic container of microwaved, uh, you know, I'm not going to name Malvita any brands because I don't want to besmir- besmirch anybody that might be a, a potential sponsor. But like, you know, just taking generic cheese off the shelf in a, in a plastic container, microwaving it, and then sticking a couple pieces of bread and a salami on it, and telling me it's fondue, I'm a, I'm just a little concerned. I'm more worried about like my seatmate. What if they're a messy eater and they get it on me? What if it's turbulent and it spills? I this just there's so many ways this could break bad for people who are just, you know, looking to have a relaxing flight. I'm so opposed. Well, the the other thing is to me, the real uh, enjoyable aspects of the fondue, there's two things to it. The highly sharp, pointy things that you use to spear the the items that you're going to dip into the cheese. So you can't really, I don't think that they allow those on flights anymore. And secondly, I like a fondue pot where there's still a little flame. I like I like the flame underneath the pot. Sure, like I yes, understand of course. A lot of folks deliver their fondue where it's already been heated and it's sitting in the fondue pot and it retains its its gooey stature. But I like it when the flame's underneath, keeping it, you know, nice and 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 soft for me for, for my dipping pleasure. You can't have that on a plane. No, absolutely not. Also, how, it, it's going to congeal really quickly without that flame. It's just a disaster. It's not good. It, I, I, I like the idea. I like the idea of taking an iconic food that belongs to your culture and then trying to deliver it. Like the idea of leaving the U.S. and flying over to Switzerland. Um, oh, this is flying out of Geneva. Well, still, yeah. leave everybody a nice parting shot, a nice you know idea of what they just they just experienced. Uh, I li- I like sort of the the spirit of it, but the execution, I'm I'm very skeptical of the execution. Yeah, me too. No bueno. Um, that's all I got for you this week, House. That's pretty good. Are, are you uh, eating anywhere exciting this coming week? Mm, nothing on the table yet, but I'll I'll let you know next week when we chat. Okay, I'm, l- I'm looking forward to it. Thank you, Juliet. <laughs> of course. Talk to you soon. All right, my hungry homies, there we go. Another House of Carbs in the books. Let me give you two words of encouragement. First, please pay extra attention to our Instagram. We are hitting the gram with all of these glorious holiday foods. I put the rum cake on uh, a couple days ago. Up is coming shall be a little bit of the Korean meal that I had. The Bill Simmons uh, chicken parm is going to be on there. You know the gram. 
at the House of Carbs, all of this beautiful food we're talking about. One other word of encouragement, get yourself over to www.iheart.com slash podcast awards. There is a show nominated in the food category. It's this show, House of Carbs. Please, you're allowed to go ahead and vote up to five times. If you want to give me all five votes, I will give back to you the, my, my very best effort on this show and maybe a cheeseburger. We can work something out, my hungry homies. Until next week, let's stay hungry out there. <laughs> <laughs>